Our first reading is from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are given are, are you to given him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did not he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Our second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I have delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. And as Matt comes to speak to us, I'm just going to pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you that we can read your word in the Bible. Lord, I pray as Matt brings us your word tonight, I thank you for the word you have given him. I pray that we will all have hearts and minds open to hear from you tonight. Amen. Evening, everybody. What are you hoping for this Christmas? That's not a rhetorical question. I want a few hands to go up. Okay, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Anyone want to put their hand up? What are you hoping for? Shout it out. Lego. Lego. Yes, that's a good thing. Lego. There's a bit of nodding going along that row, so who knows? Lego. Okay, brilliant. You're hoping for Lego? Somebody else? Yep, go on, shout it out. This laser tag thing. Is that what I heard? Okay, brilliant. Uh, The vicar's got his hand up. Peace and quiet. Did did his family hear that one? (laughs) No, they're chatting. (laughs) How ironic. (laughs) Okay, uh, Lego, laser tag thing, peace and quiet. Let's have one more. (laughs) Okay, 31 year old daughter becomes a Christian. Four different hopes that we've got there. Um, 
I'm glad nobody mentioned Brexit, actually. (laughs) Hope. Just hearing some of those hopes expressed there. When we say we hope for something, what are we saying? It can mean wishful thinking, actually, sometimes. Now, okay, we, we might be hoping for Lego, and perhaps we've spotted Lego hidden in a cupboard somewhere and think, actually, I'm quite safe to hope for that. Sometimes there's a little bit of evidence behind our hopes, but sometimes it can just be wishful thinking, desiring something. Depends on what sort of character you are as well. Uh, You might be, like me, optimistic about life. In our family... I I always think that the glass is half full, and Helen, my wife, always sees it as half empty. That's why our marriage has worked, I guess. But I'm quite optimistic. You know, I'm positive. I think things are are going to work out all right, generally. You've probably seen this before. The National Lottery. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who does that. But the, the crossing of fingers is the symbol, isn't it, of the National Lottery. Uh, you know, hope, hope I win. The number of times when I'm at the football club and someone comes up to me and say, Rev, could you get me the, the, the National Lottery numbers for this weekend? Uh, if, if you give them to me, it's as if I've got some hotline to God who's going to give me the numbers. But if you give them, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a percentage. Uh, okay. But it's that kind of finger-crossing. You know, I, I, hope, I hope I win the National Lottery. I hope I become a millionaire. I spoke to someone the other day and I said, it's about someone who's a member of the family who's going to have an operation. And I said, uh, I'll be praying. And as I walked out the door, both fingers like crossed like that. I'm hoping. Last Sunday evening, I was at a, a dinner to remember 20 years ago, Cholton getting promoted to the Premier League. Now, those of us who are Cholton fans, that seems more than 20 years ago now. I was reminded that there were 37,000 Charlton fans there in Wembley that day, and there were 40,000 Sunderland fans. We were all hoping for the same thing. We were all hoping that our team was going to get promoted into the Premier League. If you know the story, it went to 3-3 after normal time, 4-4 after extra time, and then it went to penalties, and Charlton won 7-6 on penalties. We were all hoping... Were the Charlton fans hoping slightly more? Is that why we got promoted? Did we have to over-hope the Sunderland fans because there were 3,000 more of them and our London hope was much better than their Northern hope? It was actually because the goalkeeper went the right way and stopped the penalty. Is this then the kind of hope we have as Christians, uh, a wishful thinking, sometimes based on a little bit of evidence. And I'm told that in medical circles, you know, if you, if you believe that you're going to get better, it can help with your healing. But it doesn't ultimately work out. Is this then the sort of hope that we have? We've been singing about it. Here's three songs. Let's put the first one up where we sung about hope. Just the first line. The hopes and fears of all the years. That was in a carol that we sung. Which one? Well done. A little town of Bethlehem. Here's another one. 
Didn't sing this tonight. We sing this a lot, though, in this church. It's based on an old hymn, but we sing the more up-to-date version as well. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You didn't know I was going to sing out the front tonight. (laughs) Another one. We're going to sing this one later on. Do you know what this is from? Oh, holy night. Well done. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. I've been practicing. (laughs) So are we singing there then a kind of, well, the finger-crossing, wishful thinking, hopes and fears of all the years are going to get sorted out tonight? My finger-crossing is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The last reading, the second reading we had, the last line of that reading said this. In his name, that's the name of Jesus, the nations will put their hope. And the word that is used throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, you'll be pleased to know, is not a kind of wishful thinking, finger-crossing sort of hope. But the word means favourable and confident expectation. Favourable, meaning something very positive, not negative, favourable. There's going to be favour, this is going to be very positive. Confident, something that we can place our confidence and our trust in. An expectation. We expect that this will happen. We expect, I didn't expect that penalty to be saved. This is so much more than that. A favourable and confident expectation. Will you put up uh, the next screen? Now, when I wrote this down, it came out like this. Favourable and confident expectation. Struck me, I'm sure this isn't original, but it seemed original to me, that this is the best way to face the future. With favourable and confident expectation. Can everybody see that? I'm a very visual sort of person. This is how we face the future as Christians with a favourable and confident expectation. One of the privileges that I have being chaplain at Charlton Athletic, and it is a privilege, is we often get contacted at the club. We have a memorial garden there, and we often get contacted uh, to scatter the ashes uh, of a loved one who's died. And it's a tremendous privilege to, to accompany them in the memorial garden and take a short service where we scatter that loved one's ashes. And I always use the words from the Church of England Pastoral Services book. And as I was preparing this, the words came back to me. These are the words that I proclaim. These are the words I know Eddie would proclaim at a funeral and others here have taken funerals and scattering of ashes. After we've done the ashes to ashes, dust to dust, the words carry on like this. Ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our frail bodies, that they may be conformed to his glorious body, who died, was buried, and rose again for us. That's more than finger-crossing, isn't it? It's a sure and certain hope, favourable and confident expectation. In what? In the resurrection to eternal life. 
Now that thing that we use in that service is based on scripture. You can, and I can't go into it all tonight. I haven't got time. You can look it up, 1 Corinthians 15. You can look it up in Philippians 3. But what strikes me, strikes me here is, as Christians, we don't just sort of, but, but don't believe that, well, after we die, we'll go to heaven and this kind of, kind of our spirits will go on and, and that will be it. What we're saying there is that there will be a resurrection body. We'll be raised to life. That's what it means. Resurrection, raised to life. And that Jesus will transform, will change our frail bodies. Now, I'm standing here tonight. I'm not as mobile as normal because I've done something to my knee. Done something to my knee. I've done something to my back as well. I have been very aware how much more frail my body is the last few weeks. All go, ah. Thank you. I think it was turning 50 in the summer. It seems like once you turn 50, things start to go wrong. You're a long way away yet, Eddie. But when I read this, I thought, in the future, after I've died, there will be a greater resurrection and raising up. And this frail body will be changed, will be transformed and made to be conformed to be like the glorious body of Jesus. Now that may be new on you tonight. It's in that that we have a favourable and confident expectation. Wow. Now I hear you cry. Matt, it's Christmas time. We've come along to this carol service. I know it's contemporary. I know it's a bit alternative, but you're talking about Easter. You're not talking about Christmas. We wanted to hear about angels and, 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 and stables and shepherds and, and all of that kind of stuff. Two reasons I'm speaking about this. First of all, it was the title I was given. I was given the title Real Hope. And you can't speak about real hope as a Christian without talking about the resurrection in Jesus. Because that's where our hope is. I love all the shepherd stuff, and there's great stories there, and there's great preaching there, and we'll hear it over the next sort of few weeks. But my hope is not in an angel or a shepherd, other than the great shepherd, but you know what I'm saying. Or in wise men or kings. My hope is in the resurrection that is in Jesus. But it does, of course, fit in with Christmas. We've called this, uh, on the the flyers you might have seen, where it says real hope, it says, here in a manger we find real hope. In a little baby who grows up to be a man, we find real hope. The birth of Jesus announces that hope. This is a big statement that goes on here that we remember at Christmas time. It's like notice being served. This is the beginning of of the end. Not like Churchill's statement halfway through the Second World War, this is perhaps the end of the beginning. But no, this is the beginning of the end. In a big kind of cosmic sense, if you like, however you want to think about that, but all of the, all of the kind of enemies of God, the devil himself, at this point when a baby is born in a stable somewhere in the middle, of the middle East, everything changes. This is the first time God has been made man and is walking on this earth just like I am now. Everything changes. 
It's the beginning of the end. We've done a series over the last uh, three months, is it now, in 1 Samuel? And it's been good. And, and it's been good to learn more about the Old Testament, and it's been good to, to preach through that and some of the stories and connect it up with our faith today. But I'm going to be completely honest with you. Whenever I'm in the Old Testament, whenever we do Old Testament stuff, there's a frustration in me because it's crying out for so much more. If it just finished with the Old Testament, how frustrating. Well, we wouldn't be in existence as a church. When it gets into the New Testament and there's this announcement of Jesus' birth, there's a big sigh. <sighs> if you've ever done one of those read through the Bible in a year kind of plans, if you do it over a year, you, you won't get into the New Testament till sort of October time, probably. But there's that build up, that expectation, then suddenly, yes, Jesus has turned up. Wow. If you could put up the next slide. I noticed in the two passages that we had read out, the key verse was the same one, verse 21. She, that's Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 12.21, in his name, the name of Jesus, the nations will put their favorable and confident expectation because Jesus has arrived He's turned up on the scene. Things will never be the same. A few Christmases ago, I uh, got to be quite good friends with the then uh, Catholic priest at Our Lady of Grace Church up on Charlton Road. And uh, I went round to see him a couple of weeks before Christmas. And we went down the crypt, which is that little bit underneath the church. We're in there chatting... And on the wall were these two symbols. You put them up. There was a crown of thorns and a star. And it was a few years ago, and I said to him, we're just you know, coming up to Christmas. Um, you need to take down the crown of thorns one. I was genuine in my kind of young naivety. And he looked at me in that kind of knowing, older statesman sort of way and smiled. And he said, no. He said, we need to hold both of these at the same time. The star that announces Jesus' birth. And I love to think about that. When the star comes out to announce Jesus' birth, it's, it's like creation turning up. Creation had to shout out, the Son of God is now in town on planet Earth. Creation couldn't keep quiet. That's the star announcing his birth that we remember at Christmas time. And the crown of thorns, representing that Jesus was a king, but he was crucified. The crown of thorns that was placed on his head before being crucified. We hold the two together all of the time, at Christmas and at Easter. Maybe when we get to Easter, we need to think a little bit about the star, as well as thinking about the crown of thorns. Jesus is the kindest, most generous, loving, gracious, wonderful person you could ever meet. He was when he walked on this earth. 
He still is today. Because the Christian message is about encountering him. It's about meeting him. By his spirit, allowing him to dwell in us. Setting us free, that stuff about sin. Setting us free from the stuff that we get wrong. And we all know we get stuff wrong. I've got stuff wrong today. I'm sure you have as well. I've mucked up several times. But I can come back to Jesus and find forgiveness. Because he went to the cross for me. 30 odd years after he turned up in a stable. He's kind, he's generous, he's loving. And he wants to encounter us here this Christmas time. It was this hope, this favourable and confident expectation placed in Jesus and of the resurrection that became the driving force in the apostles. Matthew, who wrote this, is believed he become a martyr. He became a martyr. He died for what he believed in. All of the apostles, they reckon, died for their faith. Why? Because they knew that there was a resurrection coming. They knew that that changed not just the future, it changes the now. I've got a friend who works out in Myanmar, Burma, as it used to be called, still is sometimes. She gave up living here to go out and work in an orphanage out there and work on the streets. Why? Because she's got a favourable and confident expectation in the resurrection in Jesus. That's what drove the apostles. That's what drives people today. That's what drives us, I suggest, to our front lines our workplaces today. Yes, it's to earn money to feed our children, etc., etc. But the driving force should be that we are going out because we have the hope of the resurrection in Jesus in our lives. Amen? I started with a question. I'm not going to ask you to put hands up for this one either. I want to finish with a question. Will you place your hope in Jesus this Christmas? It's a simple one. But will you place your hope in Jesus this Christmas? Perhaps you've come in for the first time. Perhaps you saw the nativity stuff this week. Maybe just something in what I've said has triggered. You've been thinking about hope. And I quipped about Brexit at the start. But, you know, who knows where everything is going in the next few months, the next few years. Can you put your hope in that? Can you put your hope in, and it's not a political statement, but any politician. Can you put your hope in the banks? The pension? And maybe as I've been speaking, you've thought, actually, this does make a little bit of sense. This person who walked upon this earth, I can put my hope in that. He came that I may have life, that I may have resurrection life, to transform me not just for the future, but for today as well. Take the opportunity this evening, before you leave, don't shelve it and think, I'll come back to it. Take the opportunity. Talk to whoever you've come with tonight. There'll be opportunity later on to respond to that. We've also got a course starting, is it the 10th of January? Christianity Explored. If you want to ask some more questions, come along to that. Don't put off making a decision tonight if you're in that place. But if you're still asking questions, surely it's worth asking those questions. Surely it's worth pushing it a little bit. Come and argue with us. Come and argue with whoever's leading it. But this matters, doesn't it?
it's worth making a decision about. And finally, I say that to all of us here who would put our hands up and say, I am a Christian. I trust in Jesus. I believe in him, in being the resurrection. And in him, I have my hope because he was raised from the dead for me. I already believe that, Matt. I've really been challenged, as you always are when you preach, as I've looked at this over the last couple of weeks, and I've looked at what's going on around me in the world. When everything's working out, when things are working out with your family and your children's education and, and you've got a nice house and, and you know you're going to have a decent pension, all that, you kind of think, hey, it's all going to be all right. When that starts to shake, you then start to ask the questions. Where's my hope? Is it a wishful thinking, finger-crossing hope in that? Or is it a favourable and confident expectation in Jesus? That is what makes the difference for my life. That is what I want to push into. And so I throw that out as a challenge to all of us as it's challenged me. Will all of us place our hope in Jesus this Christmas? Thank you.